Tonight we turn in sacred scripture to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Text for the sermon is verses 25 through 32. We won't reread that, but it's the end of our reading, so that works out well. We'll read the entire chapter and focus tonight on verses 25 through 32. This is God's word in Matthew 6. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking." Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites, of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly." Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, 
thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness! No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. Now the text begins here in verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add but one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall He not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So far we read Holy Scripture, as I said, verses 25 through 32 constitute the text for the sermon. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the text for the sermon tonight comes from the second part of Matthew chapter 6. And one of the ways in which we can divide the second part of that chapter, broadly speaking, is that the Lord Jesus gives instruction concerning two dangers that believers face as they live their life on this earth in relationship to the things of this earth. On the one hand, the Lord Jesus warns against the danger of living your life on this earth for the purpose of amassing the riches of this earth. This is what Jesus speaks of in the section before our text in verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. And that's a needed word because of the temptation that we face to live our lives with covetous hearts to amass the earthly treasures and pleasures here below. And so Jesus says, don't lay up treasures here on this earth. Lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust doth not corrupt and where thieves do not 
break through and steal. And then he gives that very powerful conclusion for where your heart is, there will your treasure be as well. Or rather, the other way around. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So that on the one hand, as it relates to our life on this earth and relationship to the things of this earth, the danger is that we live with covetous hearts. But then he goes on, on the other hand, to warn against a different danger. One also that we need to hear, and that's the word of our text. And that's the danger to live with anxious hearts. And so as we think about our earthly existence, Jesus teaches us in these verses to not worry about our life. What we will eat, what we will drink, and what we will put on. And it's that word that we consider this evening from verses 25-32. through So let's look at that under the theme, take no thought for your life. We'll notice in the first place the meaning of that. And then in the second place, we'll consider the reasons as we can derive them from what Jesus teaches in these verses. The meaning and the reasons of take no thought for your life. The Lord Jesus is the great teacher. He's the preeminent teacher. And what we have in this passage is a principle of good teaching. And that principle is that one carefully place the repetition of the same main idea throughout the instruction. And that's what Jesus does in these verses in Matthew chapter 6. He repeats the main idea that He wants us to hear in these sections of verses. And that repeated word, almost word for word, is therefore take no thought. See that in the text. It begins in verse 25, the opening line. Take no thought. Then you go down to verse 31 and he repeats the same thing. Therefore, take no thought. And then the last verse of the chapter, even though it doesn't uh, include it in our text, it's still the same idea. Take therefore no thought. Clearly, Jesus wants us to hear this word. Take no thought. And He wants us to hear it in that way. As an imperative, a command. That's how we need to receive it tonight. The command of Jesus to us, take no thought. Now that's not how we would put it in our everyday language. In fact, the way that we read it in the King James Version of the Bible is misleading or can be misleading. And it can be misleading so that we have this idea that we are not to think about the things that He is talking about in these verses. Take no thought. Don't think about. But that's not the idea. In fact, just the opposite is true. We do need to think about these things. We need to think about our life on this earth. We need to think about food. We need to think about clothing. We need to think about what we will drink. That's what we're doing right now. 
Very clearly, we are thinking about these things. And so the word is not don't think about them, but what Jesus is warning against is that there is a right way and there is a wrong way to think about our life on this earth. And this is the wrong way. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. That's the idea of take no thought. And that's how we would put it in our everyday language today. What is very striking and insightful is that that word in the text, take no thought, has as its basic idea that which is separated or that which is divided. And I say that's striking and insightful because it gives you a glimpse into what anxiety and worry feels like. And I understand fully that there is a wide spectrum of, of seriousness in this regard, but we all experience this to one degree or another in our life here on this earth. And that insight that it comes from the idea of to be divided or separated gets at the way in which we experience this. And what I mean by that is the way worry or anxiety manifests itself sometimes is what we would sometimes say as racing thoughts or a divided mind. We're thinking about this and then we're quickly thinking about that and we're back to this and we're over here to another thing. And the fruit of that in our mind and heart is that there is no peace. There's no calm. There's no solace. And that's the idea of anxiety. But in that, you get a little bit of a glimpse into where we're going and what the antidote is. And where we are going and what the antidote is is to have a single mind. To be singularly focused. To set that mind and fix that mind on one thing and don't deviate from it and see everything through it. And that's ultimately where we're going to come in this sermon to see that that one thing is to know who God is to you in Jesus Christ as your heavenly Father. But this is Jesus' Word to us. Take no thought. And what He tells us not to worry about is our life. Take no thought for your life. And then he elaborates, what ye shall eat, what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Jesus is addressing here our earthly existence. Don't worry, Jesus says, about your earthly existence and your continued life here on this earth. And the things that he mentions particularly are meant to, to represent all of the things that God uses to maintain and preserve earthly life. Eating, drinking, the clothing that we need to wear. It's similar to what we have in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus teaches us to pray for our daily bread. Bread there represents all of the necessities of earthly life. Same thing here. Don't worry about your earthly life as it's represented in these types of things, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or what you are going 
to wear and all of the other means and tools God uses to maintain our existence here on this earth. Jesus clearly understands that we need to hear this Word. That we who are Christians need to hear this Word. Remember that the Sermon on the Mount, which is where this is found, is the instruction of the Lord Jesus concerning the life of citizens in the Kingdom of Heaven. In Matthew chapter 5, where the Sermon on the Mount begins, Jesus explains who are the citizens of the Kingdom of Heaven. That's what we know commonly as the Beatitudes. But then He goes on and says, now, as citizens of the Kingdom of Heaven, this is My instruction to you. This is how you are to live in many different ways. And here, at the end of chapter 6, these two dangers as it relates to our earthly existence here below. And so Jesus understands that He's giving this instruction to those who are part of God's Kingdom. Those who have been regenerated. Those who know God. Those who believe in Jesus. But yet we still need to hear this imperative. There's a little insight from the text when Jesus says at the end of verse 30, after saying, Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall He not much more clothe you? And then He says this, O you of little faith. And remember who He's addressing here. He's addressing citizens of the Kingdom of Heaven. And He knows what characterizes citizens of the Kingdom of Heaven at times is exactly this. You of little faith. We're not to look elsewhere when we read those words, but we are to say, that's me. That's me at times in my life. A man or a woman of little faith. Faith, yes. Praise God, faith, yes. We believe. We believe in God. We believe in Jesus. We believe the Gospel. We believe the Word. We embrace the promises of God. We have faith. But it can be, at times, a little faith. A weak faith. A doubting faith. A struggling faith. Because on this side of the grave, we have that sinful nature that clings to us every single day. And Jesus understands that and knows that. And so He says to us, you need to hear this Word. Don't worry about your earthly existence. And beloved, we know that each one of us is faced with this over different circumstances at different times in our lives. It's not the same for everyone. But we all face it. It can be the very basic, is the money going to be there to pay the bills in the coming months? Or it's the the worry and anxiety that the stock market may take another turn and we're right at that time in our life where it matters. 
Where you can't have the attitude, just, just ride it out, but it's a time where it matters. Where, where everything we had planned that would shape the, the waning years of our life all of a sudden isn't what we thought it would be. Maybe it's the time when you have to go to that hospital and you are concerned that that doctor is going to look you in the eye and say, you have something for which there is no cure. Or maybe you're facing it right now and there is the question, is the cure actually going to work? Or you look at the economy and you say, okay, the industry is thriving right now, but, but it just takes a little bit of looking ahead into the future and, and the worry starts to creep in. Is the job going to be there like it has been? Or you look at the trends in the world in which we live and you say, I have a skill. It's a skill I've developed over many, many years, but all of this technology coming in, is it going to make me obsolete. Or you look at the kingdom causes and you say, can I give to that? Because if I do, it's going to put a dent into what I've been saving because this is what I want to do with what I have been saving. In one way or the other, at different times in our lives, we can be faced with that divided mind, that anxious mind regarding life here on this earth. We can dig a little bit deeper and say, why is that the case? Why is that something that we at times can struggle with? And one of the reasons for that is because we have in us still what drives the Gentiles. Look at what Jesus says in verse 32, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek. What Jesus is saying here is this is what the life of the unbeliever is about. The here and now. That's all it's about. It's only about what I eat, what I drink, what I wear, what this life has to offer in its things and its experiences. That's what the Gentiles seek after. But here's the reality for you and me. We have that sinful nature that is drawn to that very thing. And when there is an inordinate love for this world, an inordinate focus upon the things of this world, a forgetting that we are but pilgrims and strangers passing through, when all of this stuff and all of these experiences and my life in the here and now matter too much, that's when we become susceptible especially to the worry and the fears associated with this earthly life. Or it's very simply this, that we wake up in the morning and we forget to look up first. But we wake up in the morning and the only way we're thinking and we're looking is horizontally or downwardly. And very simply, we wake up and we forget to say, I stand before and I live before a glorious God and who that God is to me. And when we keep our minds at the horizontal level or the downward level, and we keep our minds there for too long, the fruit of that is exactly this. 
And so all of our life long, every Lord's Day, every day itself, what God is doing is He's he's putting His hand underneath our chin and He's lifting it up and He's saying, look at me. Don't take your eyes off me. And so there are many reasons that this can be who we are at times in our life. And Jesus understands that. And so He gives us this Word and He says, take no thought for your life. And He makes very clear the reasons that we are not to be anxious about our life. And let's look at those now. So now we're going to look at all the rest of these verses. And there's a lot here. And so let's divide it under three Three main headings to explain the second point of the sermon. And let's start with this most basic and fundamental reason that we are not to worry about our earthly life. And that is because of who God is to you. And beloved, this is who He is to you. He is your heavenly Father. Before getting into the the pictures of the birds and the grass and the flowers, there is a truth that undergirds everything that Jesus says in these verses. And that truth is who God is to His people. He says that in a couple of places. Verse 26, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your Heavenly Father feedeth them. And then right on the heels of that, are ye not much better than they? Right in the shadow of saying, your Heavenly Father is the question, are ye not much better than they? And then that's repeated in verse 32 in the second part, for your Heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. What ties the entire passage together as to why we need not worry is that right there. God is your heavenly Father. All three of those words are incredibly important. Number one, He is your Father. And this is what it means to be a Father. A father provides for his children. Earthly fathers can be good examples of our Heavenly Father when earthly fathers take very seriously their calling to provide and care for their children. There can also be sinful examples of fathers who are derelict in their duty to do this for their children. But whatever it is, whether it's a good example or a sinful example, there is always a weakness and sin in that example. But not with God. God is the perfect Father. And as a perfect Father, He will always provide for His children in just the way that He deems best for them. Word number two, heavenly. Father. This too, incredibly important because what it drives home is that God has the ability and the power 
to do what He deems best for His children in the care of them. That's the great difference between earthly fathers and God as our heavenly Father. I as a father may want to do something for my children, have every desire to do a certain thing for my children, but because I am a weak, sinful, finite creature, I can't always do it. But never is that limitation with God. He is the heavenly Father. And exactly because He is the heavenly Father, as Psalm 145 says, high in the heavens, doing whatsoever He hath pleased, He will provide for us. And as the text says in verse 32, He knows what we need. He knows as our heavenly Father. And we don't want it any other way. Sometimes we think we know what we need. And we think we know best what we need. People of God, you don't want that to be the case. That I as a weak, sinful man determine what I need in the end? No. This is the truth. And this in the end is the way we want it. God knows as our Heavenly Father what we need. And then that third word, your. And beloved, that word your is so very important because that word your drives us right to one place, and that is the cross and blood of Jesus. Why can you tonight say and confess and believe that the glorious God of heaven and earth is your heavenly Father, yours personally? The only reason that you can say that is because of Jesus and what He has done for you. There's nothing in you that makes you a child of the living God and part of His family. Everything in you and everything in me, my sin and my guilt, makes me an enemy of God estranges me from God and makes me worthy of everlasting damnation. But this is God's love for us. This is the supreme manifestation of God's love for us. He sent Jesus. And Jesus takes that sin and guilt. Jesus pays for it in full. And only because of that perfect work of Jesus does God bring us into His family and say to us tonight, this is who I am to you. Not because of anything that you have done. Not because of anything you could do. But because of Jesus and Him alone. This is who I am to you. I am your heavenly Father. And beloved, that makes all the difference in the world about everything. When you set your eye upon Calvary, when you see the Lord Jesus, when you see God's love for you and what matters most, and what matters most is that you are a guilty sinner worthy of everlasting damnation, but God sent Christ for you. When you know that, supreme manifestation of God's love for you, and you look at all of your life in light of that, it changes everything. Then you look at your earthly existence. 
You look at the here and now. You look at your body and circumstances. And you say this, I know who this God is to me. I know with certainty who this God is to me. I fix my eyes upon Calvary. He's my God. He's mine for Jesus' sake. And because He did that, I can know, I do know, He knows exactly what I need. And with regard to this, this body, this life, He will see to it that He cares for me according to His perfect plan. He created me. He will preserve me just as He determines to do. And thinking about that in light of the opening line of the, the reason that we need not worry, look at what Jesus says at the end of verse 25. He says, Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? That's how Jesus begins the entire argument of why we need not worry. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? What Jesus is saying there is, you need to think about what is more fundamental. Before thinking about food and clothes, these these means that God uses to preserve earthly life, remember that there's something more basic, more fundamental, and that's life and body. Don't don't go there. Start here and realize who God is and what He's doing. There's a life. We have life. And the reason that you have life right now is because God is at work to give you life. With a body. Before thinking about clothes, think about a body. Why is your heart beating? Why are your lungs breathing? Why are neurons firing in your brain? It's because there's a God. And what we've said already is He's your God. And He's at work right now preserving the life in your body that He has created. Is not the life more than the food and the body more than the raiment? And the point with that is to say God is at work. And God will continue to be at work according to His will to preserve us in our earthly existence. That in the first place, the the, the truth that undergirds it all, who God is to us. But now let's notice in the second place the, the pictures that He gives in the text to really drive home this word, don't worry. The pictures of the the birds of the air and the flowers of the field and the grass of the earth. Now notice a couple of things about those pictures uh, generally. Uh, Number one, how Jesus begins each of those sections is incredibly important because He starts with this. Behold, verse 26. And verse 28 Consider. Behold the fowls of the air. Consider the lilies of the field. It's 
very easy to, to jump over those words, but those words are important. They're different words, but they're the same idea. What Jesus is saying there is, think about this. Ponder this. Meditate upon this. In other words, to make it very practical, go outside and look at the birds. Think about the birds. Go outside, ponder the flowers, and look at that grass and think about what God is teaching us. You see, God made all of this physical creation, much of it, with an eye on the spiritual. There's a reason God created birds and flowers and grass. It's so that as Christians, when we see birds and flowers and grass, we are, we are pointed in our thoughts and minds to things beyond birds, flowers, and grass. And that is to our Heavenly Father. There's so many things in this world that are like that. After church this morning, leading a Bible study for the, the post-high school age uh, young adults in our congregation, we, we looked at Malachi 4. Malachi 4, the Son of Righteousness with healing in His wings. S-U-N. And you think every single day, every single day we see that sun come up and God says, there's a picture of who Jesus is. Healing in His wings to give us strength for another day as we live our life on this earth. What we have here is the Word of God to us. Think about these things. Ponder them carefully. And the second thing generally about this point is understand the basic argument that Jesus is making here. And the basic argument is from the less to the greater. What he is saying is that if there is something true about the less, then it will also be true about the greater. The less in our text is the birds of the air, the flowers of the field, the grass of the earth. If there's something true about that, which is a lesser thing, how much more will it be true about the greater thing? And the greater thing is you and me. Blood-bought children of our Heavenly Father. If He cares for them, how much more will He care for us? And so let's look at the two figures briefly. The first is verse 26. He directs our attention to the birds of the air. Behold, the, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? The birds of the air, they don't sow. They're not planting. They don't reap. They're not harvesting. And they don't gather into barns. But yet, they're always cared for. They always have food sufficient for their life. It's in this context that I think it's important to point out that Jesus is not teaching here that we are not to be active and industrious and work. 
He's not saying don't work. The word is don't worry. In fact, we know that we must work. We're called to work. Right at the beginning, God said to Adam that he was going to eat in the sweat of his face. And Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, if any would not work, neither will he eat. We need to work. And even the figure itself points to that. The bird does not sit out on the branch with his mouth open looking up into the sky waiting for God to drop a worm into that mouth. No, he's active. He's industrious. He's working. Not planning for the future like we do, but nevertheless very active. And so are we. And so must we be. And so the point is, be faithful. Work. Work hard. But in that working, in that sowing, reaping, and gathering into barns, be like the birds. Remember the birds. Don't worry. Don't worry. God will provide you with exactly what He deems best. And then we can consider the second one, which is verse 28. Consider... The lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall He not much more clothe you? The birds had to do with food and now the flowers and grass has to do with the raiment, the clothes. And Jesus says here, they're not spinning. They're not, they're not uh, making their own clothes and, and knitting. They're not working. But yet, they're cared for. It's an interesting addition there when He says they're arrayed more beautifully than Solomon in, in all of His glory. There's just an inherent beauty that cannot be replicated in the flowers of the the earth that God has made. And then the grass, even the grass, the grass that when dried in Jesus' day would be thrown into the fire, the grass grows as God deems it to grow. And therefore Jesus says, are you not much better than they? Will not God also care for you? The word here to us is know who God is and see what He will do for us in light of what He has done. For that which is less than us, the birds of the air, the flowers of the field, and the grass of this earth. Third point. Jesus makes clear the folly and the pointlessness of worrying about our earthly life. This is His word in verse 27. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto His stature? That question has as its purpose to say, it doesn't do any good. A very practical reason to fight against worry and to daily trust in our Heavenly Father that He knows the beginning of our life and He knows the end of our life. And He knows that the purpose of our 
existence eternally is not the here and now, but just at that right time, He's going to bring us home to glory. And we were reminded of that. Anytime someone is brought home, especially when that is at maybe an unexpected time, He knows exactly what His plan is for us. And all the anxiety and worry will never change what God's plan is for us. A little explanation about this question. Two words, stature and cubit. Cubit is about 18 inches, a foot and a half. But that word stature can mean two things. It can refer to a person's height, or it can refer to the the length of one's life, a lifespan, the, the path of one's life. And the idea, I believe, of Jesus here is not the former, but the latter. Uh, Jesus is not saying here, which of you by worrying can add 18 inches to your height? That would be a huge amount relatively speaking, for each one of us to to be 18 inches, a foot and a half taller, would be a great difference in our height. That's not what he's saying here. In fact, the idea is just the opposite. Which of you, by worrying, can add 18 inches to the pathway of your life? And there you see it's a completely different idea. Whereas the height figure would be a massive amount, the span of life figure is a tiny amount. And that's the point. Which of you by worrying can add but 18 inches, just a little bit, to the path of life that God has ordained for you. As another translation puts it, which of you by worrying can add one hour to your span of life? And the answer is no one. And the point of that is there's nothing good that comes from it. And so very practically, Jesus says, don't do it. And so to summarize this all and to bring it back to to its main point, God says to us tonight, know who I am. Know who I am to you in Jesus. Know that because of Jesus, I am your heavenly Father. Your heavenly Father and my ultimate plan and purpose for you is to bring me where I am. And I have that ordained from all eternity. And my counsel will guide you, as Psalm 73 says, and afterward bring you home to glory. That's who I am to you. And I know as your heavenly Father, everything you need. I care for every bird, every flower, and every blade of grass just as they need to be cared for. How much more for you? And therefore, don't worry. But trust. 
trust as you go through life that God will care for you just as He sees best. And that at just that precise time, ordained from all eternity, when Jesus has prepared that room in that precise moment, God will say, now come home. Now your life here below is done. You were never meant to be here forever. In Jesus, you are meant to be with Me. And so until that day, beloved, be faithful. Work. Be industrious. Use the means God gives for the preservation and continuance of this earthly life. Good means. We use them with thankfulness to God. But in using them, pondering the birds, the flowers, and the grass, we trust. We trust that God knows what's best. Because this is who He is to me. In Jesus, my heavenly Father. Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, we pray help us to go forth in this week, all of our life in light of this Word. Something that we need to face every day because we are creatures. We're of this earth. And help us to have an eternal, spiritual, heavenly-minded perspective with eyes of faith that look to and trust in the Lord Jesus daily. And thus know who Thou art to us every single day as a good, faithful, heavenly Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.